All right, Jonathan here. Wanted to do a quick little kickoff before we jump into the Chat Funnels event. I thought it was a pretty cool uh, episode. You guys are going to get a lot of value from this because we went into some just practical nuts and bolts, like the stuff that I feel like I always wish I could read more about of like what people actually did and what the strategy and approach was. So we're going to get into the paid strategy, paid social strategy. We did some YouTube and display event. I think we didn't talk about that quite as much on this event because it was about 20 minutes or something. So really hope that you guys enjoy it. Uh, so now to this event. All right. Well, welcome, welcome. Uh, so glad to be part of the Chat Funnels event here. Uh, we're going to be getting into a really interesting topic, uh, really for any marketer, demand gen marketer, CEO, or even a founder. I think it's going to be pretty interesting. It's going to be about a B2B SaaS brand that we help scale uh, from a paid ads perspective to reach a billion dollar valuation in less than one year. So we're going to be getting into all the nitty gritty on that in terms of what we actually did. And real quick for intros, my name is Jonathan Bland, one of the co-founders, and Jason Steele is also joining me, one of the other co-founders of OmniLab. We are a demand gen agency that predominantly works with seed to series C companies. And our whole goal is about driving pipeline for those businesses and making sure that it's not just about lead quantity. Uh, so that's what we do. And uh, we work pretty much across just about any paid channel, YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, Google Ads, et cetera. And then we also build out a lot of the ad creative. So we're going to be getting into first the before and after and chat a little bit about that so that you guys have an understanding of actually what happened and where we were in the beginning and where we went. It's a great story. So it takes a lot of intricacies within the plan. The before looked like this, 15 demos per month, about a 23% lead to op conversion rate, and about $400,000 in monthly pipeline. After the paid media strategy, less than a year later, we're up to 300 demos per month, 67% lead to op conversion rate, and $2 million bucks in monthly pipeline created. So just for context, that's about 1,900% increase in demos and about 400% increase in the pipeline created. And, of course, any good strategy starts with really good content. Exactly. And, I mean, the other thing, too, to mention on this slide as well is, like, none of this could be done without a great product, solving a great problem, right, and the sales team ultimately closing this, right? So clearly it was all a team effort, but clearly paid was a big uh, contributor to this. So Jason's point on content buckets, there were really four different things we broke this out into. And for these guys, predominantly most of it was related to content, product marketing, and social proof. There was some nature of, like, thought leadership content, which was more – content, talking about their point of view or strategic narrative, position them as an expert. We didn't do as much of that in the beginning. I'd say almost all of the focus was on product marketing types of ads, which we're trying to just explain, hey, what is this product? What does it do? And what's the benefit of it? Um, so we did a lot of value props, uh, focused on pain points. We did some before and after ads and things like that. And then the other thing is that there's regular content, which is anything that's answering direct pain points or questions that tie directly back to your product. And this could be blogs, guides, templates, tools, a whole bunch of different stuff. And then clearly you've got social proof, which is really important. We'll talk about the different layers of this in a second. Uh, but we had uh, testimonials and case studies written, and you might have, I think we did some video testimonials we had for them. Uh, but if you don't have those, no big deal. But we did a lot of video testimonials, um, text-based testimonials leading to case study pages. And then they had pretty good reviews off of G2, and uh, they had a lot of G2 badges and whatnot. So... We did uh, those and incorporated them in the actual testimonials themselves. So this is kind of the way to, like, think about the initial content buckets. You don't necessarily have to have all this to get started, but you can start building into this. And really the most important things to even get started is product marketing and social proof. So that's kind of where we started. But let me get into, like, a little bit more of, like, actually how we place that content because I think this is always a really big thing that everyone's always thinking about is, like, where do I put it and, like, what should go where, et cetera. 
So this is kind of like a, a high level like starting guide, right? It isn't the exact roadmap of what should be done, but it's a starting guide. So the, what we did for them is they had a whole webinar series for a number of months. They weren't that consistent with it, but we did some webinar promotion ads in the prospecting cold layer. And to maybe even back up, so what's cold versus warm? All it is is like people that have heard of your brand are in the warm layer because they've either been to your website and say a 90 to 180 day period, or maybe they've interacted with an ad. In the cold layer, these are people that haven't heard about your brand. They haven't been to your website. They don't know who you are. So we need to educate them, build some awareness, and then pull them into that warm layer, ultimately where they're going to get to your website and convert. So back to webinars, we did do some promotion. I think it was somewhat effective about generating general brand awareness. I'm not sure we generated a lot of you know leads and registrants from it, but that was something we did. Again, most of the focus, probably 80% was on product marketing. So there's a lot of like benefits, pains, those types of things. And then uh, the content that they had for Tofu, like the educational, like answering pain points and questions was really the uh, quiz. They had this cool kind of quiz that we led some people to for a while, which was uh, which is really nice. It was kind of gave them some information about um, some things related to their product. And then we had some blogs that answered some very high level types of questions and stuff like that. And I'd say again, probably 20, 30% of the budget went into that. And then on the retarding layer, it's back to the content buckets, right? It's back to, okay, cool. Well, now that people are kind of familiar with your brand, well, let's remove any potential uncertainty and let them know like, hey, here's some cool case studies to give them some context around the product. Here are some people that say some great things about us. And then let's also layer that in with other people outside of customers that are also saying good things about uh, the company. So that might be G2 or Captera. In the case of this company, it was all about G2. So uh, we had a lot of G2 badges and other things like that. They've had a press release also that went live about um, their uh, new fundraise uh, that they did. So we did a whole campaign around that to kind of build some excitement around the product. And then again, why is product marketing in both? Well, it's because people forget very easily, right? I mean, you probably don't remember an ad that you saw five days ago or maybe one day ago. So we need that, we need that uh, familiarity to continue to increase. So that's kind of the overall strategy. And um, you know, then there's obviously objectives to kind of get into that. You know, and the big things that we answer, the two main questions we tried to answer is through, throughout the cold and the, and the warm layer are why product or service? Answer that really well through product marketing and supported top of funnel content. And then why company, right? Because you have to answer those two questions to really to carry someone through the entire journey. So to your point, the prospecting layer, we made use of website visits and brand awareness. And the reason for that is you got to think about it. If you have 100,000 people in your total ICP that you're targeting on a given channel, you're going to want to reach the majority of those. Brand awareness does that really well. But to play game with the algorithmic nature of the channel, and when you say, hey, channel, LinkedIn, for example, I'd like to go find people who are going to visit my website, people who are going to click the ads. Well, of course, of that 100,000 people, it's going to be a smaller subset of the 100,000. And so what we like to do is always expose the brand through product marketing and other types of content through brand awareness to make sure the reach is there. And then we have a really attractive CPC on the website visit side of the house. And then of course, we try to mop up all the leads with website conversions. Because remember, your warm audience is going to be the most the most, the most, the most warm. And of course, website conversions as an objective for most channels, you're going to pay a premium because just like the brand awareness side of the house where a hundred thousand people could be potentially reached, you're going to narrow the folks down who are actually going to click. You're going to narrow again to the people who are actually going to convert 
from an algorithmic perspective. Mm -hmm. And so we like to reserve the high premium website conversions objective for the retargeting audience in this example in order to, um, to capture the most leads. And this really applied for the strategy across Facebook, LinkedIn, Display, and YouTube, where Display and YouTube were kind of heavy in the brand awareness side of the house, as well as the website clicks. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, the big point too is like, again, this is a starting point. There's lots of different objectives that can be used across these channels, right? So clearly there were others, but typically a go-to starting point are like those two objectives in the cold layer. Um, so in terms of targeting, there were a lot of things we did with targeting, obviously, as you can see here. Uh, but where we started was just basic firmographic-based targeting. If we're just talking about social, let's not like remove YouTube and display for just one second because there's more keyword-based targeting. Um, but talking about more uh, LinkedIn, where we spent the majority of our prospecting budget when we just started with them was all about firmographic based targeting. So that's kind of where we did, that's the, the kind of middle-ish to the left bar native and channel targeting is what we started with. Then as we layered on and started increasing spend, then we started getting into more of the Facebook world. And because Facebook is a little bit difficult um, or actually extremely difficult to do firmographic based targeting on Facebook, we used uh, Clearbit, which allows us to do um, basically a match between personal and work email addresses so that we can upload a audience directly up to Facebook. And now we've got the exact people we want to reach on Facebook, which we drove great results on Facebook, which is awesome, and couldn't have done it without Clearbit, clearly. Then there was a side of layering in target account lists. So as their sales team progressed and they got a little more mature, they had actual target account lists. And we wanted to essentially make sure there was a one-to-one -one match so that anything that marketing was doing, it was completely aligned with sales. And this is really important. A lot of people have marketing, marketing to a whole bunch of different set of uh, accounts, and then you've got sales doing their thing. Not, not going to happen, right, in this case. Like we we can't, can't have that happen. So that was a big thing we did and layered on into some campaigns. And the last was really just Zoom and Tint Data. Uh, so they had a subscription there. We used it a little bit. I'm kind of, I don't know, I don't know if we got a, a full conclusion on, like, was this really worth the money? Because it seems kind of expensive. But ultimately, it was just passing down accounts that at least Zoom said, hey, these guys are in market. They've got a little more propensity to actually potentially close. So we had some campaigns that were basically focused on the bottom of the funnel and converting those accounts. So that was kind of what targeting looked like. And then we split the budget basically this way. We had mid-market enterprise. They had those two different segments. Enterprise was newer for them. Um, it was actually even a smaller share in the beginning. It was mostly mid-market SMBs, like kind of where they got their start. So you can see it's pretty much 70% across the board, across all channels, mid-market, 30% across the board for enterprise. And then prospecting retargeting was really an 80-20 split. That can probably change a little bit. I mean, you might have 70-30 start out, it might do 80-20. It really depends on performance and also the size of the audience and retargeting layer. Are you spending your dailies? Are you spending your budget? So you might make some alterations to that, but this is generally like where the numbers were. And then again, most of the budget in the beginning was going to LinkedIn, a little bit to display, a little bit to YouTube. Uh, but then Facebook started to grow up, so it wasn't quite 30% when we first started going with them, but, you know, grew to about 30% of the overall budget because we were seeing some really good success with it with some of the target account lists we were going after. And then, then there's the creative. We can't, you know, ignore that, right? Uh, and I unfortunately can't share all the creative examples since um, we can't share this publicly. But, uh, but I will say this. There's a lot of key things, and this is uh, what we call pink prints internally. And there's a lot of things that could be said here, a lot of different texts going on. But the core takeaways of this slide, if you're going to remember anything, are we got to make sure that the messaging is outcome focused. And I'll talk about an example on the next slide of like what that actually looks like and how to do it. Uh, but that's really important. We try to ensure that we were never using more than eight to 12 words. And the reason for that is because, again, people's attention spans, they're moving quickly through the news feed. So we've got to get their attention real quick with something short and punchy. 
The other thing is if we can point out some things that make it curious or interesting or whatever, then that'll actually pull them in better. So curious is probably a little subjective, right? Like what's what's curious? Um, but uh, but ultimately we want to kind of pique people's curiosity. That's the goal. And then the other thing too is like with CTAs, especially in um, ad creative, a lot of people kind of go with the basic like learn more or sign up or whatever the default thing is in LinkedIn or Facebook. But you can actually do some really cool stuff. Like it doesn't need to be the same thing, right? You can use all sorts of things that are a lot more specific to exactly what you want them to do. Like, hey, sign up for this free uh, workshop to do X or whatever. Man, it's a little bit long, but you get the idea. Like you do something a little bit more specific to whatever the ad creative is talking about. And the example around like actually doing a headline here would be, you know, you basically start out with, uh, imagine like basically you could pull out a Google Sheets, uh, you know, board right now, and then you type in, I want. And then below that, you type in a whole bunch of outcomes. It'd be like outcome one, two, three, four, et cetera. Now you have a whole bunch of them. And let's say one of them, in this case, is firmographic targeting on Facebook. Well, cool. So now you've got a phrase of which is aligning exactly with what the buyer desires. That's the key part, right? Buyer, not you. And then just remove the pronoun, put an action verb in, and boom, get firmographic targeting on Facebook. And now you've got yourself a pretty good headline. Now you could, you know, make it a little more risque and stuff like that and say all sorts of things. But that's kind of the basic structure. And that'll get you down the road to developing some really good headlines. So we'll get into the paid, uh, paid search strategy now and talk a little bit more about, you know, what we did in terms of budget allocation. Yeah, one more thing on headlines and just the general messaging yeah, on top sure. of outcomes. It's super important to talk about the qualitative nature and the quantitative nature of metrics that you can add to your headlines. You know, an outcome yeah. means a certain thing it's a and point. it's positive and it's a great thing to include in all messages. But if you can couple that with something quantitative, like you're going to save 35%, you're going to save X number of hours, you're going to increase conversion rates by X, Y, Z, whatever the case may be, it's something that people can grasp onto. So not only do they get the outcome, they kind of understand what to expect. And I think that that yeah. just builds trust over time. But yeah, paid search is a... And even, even like talk over and say one other thing too, is like that I mm -hmm. didn't even mention on the last slide or on this slide here is that, you know, in terms of like the visual nature of like the ad as well, you know, we mm -hmm. found a lot of times that like using actual human faces ended up leading to much higher engagement rates. So anytime you can have some type of person that's, you know, well associated with it, ideally even people from your company or maybe that's someone already that has a brand, uh, if you don't have that, no big deal. You could use a stock image or something like that. Or, of course, for testimonials and social proof, definitely getting in those. We did a lot of those ads where we had actual people and whatnot. So I just wanted to add that point in as well. It's a great point. Paid search was a pivotal part of our strategy for this uh, $1 billion valuation in under one year, as it should be. The landscape in paid search was very, um, very interesting. It was... Um, an entry point into a world that became ultimately very, very competitive. So we typically build our paid search framework around a typical framework like you see here in front of you, brand, non-brand competitors. And then, of course, RLSA, which if, if you're not familiar with remarketing list for search ads, that's simply remarketing like you do on paid social very, very commonly in paid search. And so we split that out between a 90% of the budget to phrase and exact, and then generally about 10% of the budget for broad. And the reason for that is because broad has become a very, um, a very loose interpretation of the match rate to 
to phrases that you intend to, to bid against. And what I mean by that is there's a semantic nature to the algorithm of Google now, which can, without very, very specificity with the negating and the keywords that you select, can get out of control, but Broad is a really good tool for surfacing new potential and reaching a larger audience. And so there is value there, and we did see the value, but the majority of the conversions and some of the optimizations took place on the phrase in the exact side of the house. And so you'll notice that we combine phrased and exact by geo, non-brand phrase and exact by geo, competitors, each individual competitor getting its own campaign. And the reason for that is because we needed to focus based on the metrics, based on the level of competition, and based on the company's desire to go after one com competitor or another. If you kind of bring those all into one bucket, into a group of ad sets or uh, ad groups below one campaign, you'll lose that flexibility. And the broad side of the house mimicked that, geo breakouts from brand, non-brand, competitor, and then, of course, product in the RLSA. And the reason that we don't have a phrase in exact in this example of the RLSA, even though we did play with phrase in exact in the RLSA uh, arena, is that broad just works very well for an RLSA campaign because the purpose is to increase the bid on an RLSA. So that RLSA basically is a remarketing list of warm people who have visited the website, who had a little bit of brand knowledge of the company. They were primed and ready from things that we were doing in paid social and display and in YouTube. And of course the organic and the direct channels as well. Just everyone who's warm and familiar with the brand. And then when they're coming back to paid search and they're searching for things that are, are absolutely related to the product, service, and company, but maybe a little bit broader, maybe a little bit low intent versus what we typically try to go after, which is a high intent keyword phrase. We can do that with broad or an RLSA and broad because of the nature of them being warm which opened up kind of the, the gates to expanding the audience, the budget and scaling to a $1 billion valuation from at least the portion of, uh, of the plan that paid search had to do with. Exactly. And oddly too, before you even jump into this slide, I mean, oddly, you know, the competitor campaigns ended up being extremely profitable. Most competitor campaigns in a lot of situations are actually not that profitable. Um, you know, so we looked at the data and, and they used uh, HubSpot. We looked at it a lot. And I mean, ultimately, like we saw that those campaigns perform, so we dumped a lot more budget in it. We had competitors going after our brand keywords as well. So it was definitely a little bit of a hotbed and obviously CPCs and, you know, cost per lead and everything like that. It did increase. But even still with those increases, like, you know, we still have pretty profitable campaigns, which is great. That's a good point. The competitive landscape going <laughs> from a $30 CPC to $150 at times, depending on the day of the week. Exactly. It's crazy. Uh, you have to be yeah, prepared in order to scale to this magnitude to play ball at a very robust level. And yeah. luckily, we were working with a really great team that was willing to do so. Yeah. But the other important thing with paid search clearly and all advertising is the message match between search term and ad. And I take this one step further, it's search term add to landing page slash website experience. Yep. Because I think that you have to start and end with the same message, giving people exactly what they're asking for. That's what paid search is about, is they're asking a question in the form of a search query. And your job is to answer that question, right? So what most people do, and there's nothing wrong with this strategy at all. We, in fact, use this strategy for some of our clients. It depends on the client. It depends on the situation. Or you'll cluster ad groups by, or the keywords by ad groups, and you'll have a loose kind of interpretation of what keywords should go in each, right? So you may have multiple keywords that are kind of somewhat related to the theme of the ad group, but you're a little looser with the interpretation of what keywords should go into that those ad 
friend groups. And that's fine, nothing wrong with that at all. But what we did for this example is we employed a SCAGS methodology, and that just stands for single keyword ad group. And we got very specific because with specificity in paid search, you can provide that message match between search term ad and then finally the landing page or website experience. And so on the example on the right, we have a one-to-one -one relationship with the ad group keyword and the ads of which are being exposed when people search for those keywords. And that's ultimately important because as you'll see in a moment with some examples, we want to make sure that the keyword is going to be placed in different places within the ad, the headline, the description, the path and other variables that are very important to provide that one-to-one -one match along the journey. Not only does that help from a performance perspective, but it answers the question at the end of the day. The user's asking a question. Make sure that the answer you're giving them is just black and white as much as humanly possible. Make sure that they understand. I searched for something. Oh, look, I found it. And that's going to increase your CTR, not only from a human perspective that's in the control of the human at the end of the day, but an algorithmic perspective to be able to optimize the account. Exactly. Yep. And then I think really we get into like, you know, the actual text ad structure, right? So then this actually gets into, okay, cool. Now, what do we actually do in terms of writing some of the text ads? And really the way we broke it down was, okay, cool. We've got product plus keyword. And then the next headline would be something related to the outcome or something that they can achieve with the product, right? And then the last would be an action. This would be something maybe we want them to do. Maybe it's a demo request or a trial, or maybe there's another offer or something like that. We've got another client we work with, and 72 hours, I think you can receive a free, uh, you know, audit essentially of your cybersecurity landscape, right? So like that might be something that you could use. Ultimately, though, headlines one and two are really the ones that are going to be most seen, and the rest are going to cycle through. So typically, we'd have a combination of sometimes pinning headlines one and two. Pinning just means that those are fixed headlines. And then in other cases, we'd actually let them rotate a little bit more, which actually helps Google Ads to optimize. So we just pin headline one into what Jason just said. We'd have ultimately the keyword uh, that uh, you know aligns perfectly with a search term, and then obviously have the outcome that comes after that rotates. And ultimately, you know, we're going to try to find the best combination or the best ad that ends up converting more. So that's kind of the basic structure. And then we have a couple of different examples here, obviously. Uh, this isn't the client we're talking about, but another one. And uh, you can see some some ideas of like how this kind of comes together between product plus keywords. You get interactive product demos, you know, two, three times increase in, in book demos and then bring your product to life. So that could be an example. There's a thousand different ways to slice it. Here's another one with company in front. So you kind of play the brand game too. So even if it was a non-brand campaign, meaning that they're not uh, searching for your brand name, like Toriel in this case, but maybe another, like we're still playing that brand game so that people can see and get some exposure to who you are and then associate that ultimately with the search term that they're looking for, right? So we want those two things to be seen together. Again, another example, putting outcome in front. So this is all an iteration. It's just about kind of constantly testing this stuff. And then really in terms of measurement, without getting into like a long slog about attribution, we looked at obviously the full inbound pipe in terms of Inbound leads, inbound pipeline, inbound revenue. Those are the core three. Obviously, we looked at sales cycle and ACV. We wanted sales cycle to decrease and ACV to increase. We saw around a 45 to 50% increase in ACV over the year. Sales cycle decreased around by 35%. And then in terms of inbound pipeline and revenue, I'll show you some metrics on this next slide. But those were kind of the initial lagging indicators. But again, we did look at both. We didn't get 
bogged down in attribution completely. And then the last side is obviously the leading indicators, right? Impressions, clicks, CTR, video views, and ultimately leads, demo requests. So we wanted to look at both of these, and these are the metrics that we kind of reported back on. And really, it ended up looking something like this. And unfortunately, we can't share anything more past July uh, 2021 just for uh, you know confidentiality. But uh, did want to share at least some of the results that we got so you guys can see the progression of, all right, well, how many demos were they getting? The one thing I probably should have added this slide now that I'm thinking about it is uh, ad spend. And I did not do that. Um, but the uh, ad spend, ultimately, they were spending was in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. I think we were close to $200,000 in terms of per month once it was fully ramped up. Um, but uh, maybe I'll have to put this in the show notes or something so you guys have that link. But that gives you kind of a little bit of idea of where we went. So if all the way from $399,000 of inbound pipeline in January to $1.4 million in inbound pipeline created, from 65 demos to 193, and obviously those numbers are even bigger now. So, so it's pretty cool. But um, I'll leave you guys with that. I think I went just a little bit over, so hopefully uh, you guys can give us two more minutes so you don't cut off last part of our uh, presentation. But uh, if you guys are interested at all in chatting marketing, or talking to Manjin, or you're looking for a Manjin agency to help with paid, uh, happy to help. Uh, our website's just omnilabconsulting.com, or you can pull out your phone real quick and scan that QR code. But uh, thanks so much for, for joining, and um, you know we'll see you around. Cheers.